0: What is the medical necessity trap? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the KC Carol Pulse podcast brought to you by CATS Consultants, helping doctors keep their pulse on success. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Perush, and I'm by myself today because I really want to dig into this. Not that we don't dig in with other guest hosts on here, but I really want to dig into this whole idea of medical necessity and what the trap is all about. And, and I apologize now, I get, I, I get kind of passionate about this conversation because I see a lot of doctors in our profession really kind of missing the boat on this and may, maybe I get a little passionate because I'm also drinking coffee. I have my keep calm cup today um so anyway, medical necessity what what does that mean well this is this is what insurance companies pay for they pay for medically necessary care and hopefully everybody knows that and what is medically necessary care well, it meets the confines of whatever the policies are that the insurance company has in place so, Every year, those policies change. You need to be going and reading those and keeping updated on those policies. And sometimes they'll change things on you a little bit. They'll, like for example, several years years ago, there was one of the insurance companies stopped paying for nine seven zero one four muscle stem and made it investigational and put it one hundred percent to patient responsibility. And so a lot of doctors just quit billing it. They're still doing it. But why? Because there's there's clinically appropriate. That's the opposite side. There's clinically appropriate care that patients can and should be paying for. So we've got to make a differentiation there. And we've got to make a differentiation not only in our notes, our record keeping, and our diagnosis, but we need to make that differentiation with patients. Patients need to understand this because patients need to be invested in their care plan. You shouldn't be doing things that you're not getting paid for, that's just that's just not fair to you. And really, if the patients understand it, they would agree that it's not fair to you. So I want to drill down on this a little bit because doctors are kind of starting to get in trouble for not really following the rules on medical necessity. So medical necessity is born out of having a diagnosis on a patient, which requires an, an evaluation, okay? You have to have an evaluation to get to a diagnosis, to get to a treatment plan. And it's inside of there that medical necessity happens. So if you're evaluating a patient and they have you you determine that they have sciatica and and disc degeneration and uh, muscle spasms and muscle weakness and and radiculopathy, and you know whatever, you guys know what the diagnoses are. And from there, you determine that the patient needs fifty six visits. Is that going to be medically necessary? Probably not because it's so far out of the confines of the norm that they're probably going to frown on that. So part of the care would be medically necessary, but how much of the care is medically necessary? And this this is where you have to understand what the policies are. And here's the crazy thing. A lot of these companies, insurance companies, put out directives that tell you exactly. What their policies are, tell you exactly how long you should treat somebody. They tell you exactly what your diagnosis is and how that relates back to the number of visits you get. And this is where the trap happens. So if you're billing an insurance company and you haven't started care off was showing the insurance company that you've done an exam. And how do we show the insurance company that we've done an exam? We bill a 99202 to a 205 or a 99211 to a 215. Really, it's probably 99202, 99203, 99212, 99213. Those are the primary exam codes. But that that's how you tell the insurance company that you've done an evaluation far deeper than just palpation. And, and range of motion you've done a full blown meets the confines of the diagnosis enm uh, i'm sorry meets the confines of the enm codes need a sip of coffee it meets it meets the definition of the en enm codes and you've got a diagnosis that matches up to that so your exam your diagnosis your treatment plan all tells the story so for example, if you have a patient that comes in and has a subluxation and a sprain strain injury, let's say in the in the in the low back. Okay? And and that's your diagnosis, a subluxation and a sprain strain injury. Okay? Does that get 24 visits? No, probably not. Does it get 4 to 6 visits? Yeah, probably so. So this this is where you have to be careful because if you're submitting sprain strain and a subluxation and you're uh, billing visit number 18 on this patient, you might be throwing up some red flags and the insurance company might say, hmm, let's go audit those records. Let's request those records and see what they're doing. Could there be a reason why you should still be treating the patient? Yes, I'm not saying there's not. But what we do sometimes is we inadvertently put ourselves on the radar screen with the insurance companies. That's the trap, okay? That's the trap is we want to try to avoid that as much as we can, because let me ask you a question. Are audits fun? No. Are they time-consuming? Yes. By the time you get all those records and things put together and, you know, review them for completeness, et cetera, and, of course, you never change a note along the way. You can do an addendum, but you don't change a note. But making sure that all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted and your signature's on there and the dates are good, once you do all that, you've, you've spent a lot of time to do that. Now, on one case, is it going to be a lot of time? No, but we've seen instances where insurance companies are requesting 20, 30, 40 cases at a time. Holy cow, that's a time trap right there, let alone a, a, a fearful issue because once they go through them, what if they find something wrong? What happens? Well, they want money back. So the insurance companies have in my opinion actually done us a favor. They've defined medically necessary versus clinically appropriate, okay? So, simplest way to explain it, medically necessary is acute care, clinically appropriate is wellness care, maintenance care. Those kind of things are clinically appropriate. You as the doctor in clinically appropriate land get to determine by your expertise and education and your evaluation Whether the patient is in medically necessary care needs to be in medically necessary care, or if they're in clinically appropriate care, you get to decide that. But far too often, we're just trying to shove all the patients into medically necessary so their insurance company will pay for it, because we want the, the the patient to, you know, only have their insurance company paying for care. Why? Let's educate our patients on the. Idea of clinically appropriate care. And those of you that have wellness clinics and you're really good at moving patients over to maintenance and they're paying cash for care, bravo, bravo, you figured it out. You figured it out. You've also figured out something else. In clinically appropriate land, you have control over your fees and your profits. Okay. We're going to hold off on that for just a second. We need to get a word from our sponsor in here, but I want to come back and I want to talk a little bit more about what the insurance companies are watching for. I want to talk a little bit more about proving medical necessity. And I want to talk about the diagnosis changing game that we often do to keep patients on insurance. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Here's a quick message from our sponsor, Katz Chiropractic Business Advisors. All right everybody, welcome back to the KC Carapults podcast brought to you by Cats Consultants. We're talking about the medical necessity crap. Okay? And this is this is a real thing. The insurance companies are watching you. What are they watching? Well, they're watching to see how long you're billing them on a, a diagnosis set. And cuz they know how long you should be di- how long you should be submitting your claims for every diagnosis combination that you can come up with. They've spent years modeling this information when we send in claims, and they—they they all have this data. They all have this data, and so they're also looking to see if you've just changed a diagnosis, but you didn't bill an exam code. How can you change a diagnosis unless you're downgrading a diagnosis? You might be able to do it then. You might be able to go from a three or four region uh, diagnosis set to a two region diagnosis set, for example, and have that documented in your notes that those areas have improved and we're no longer treating them, or those areas have improved and they're no longer clinically appropriate to treat, then you may be able to do that. But if you're just changing the diagnosis to try to keep the patient after 18 visits, to try to keep them on insurance to get another 18, that's a red flag that at some point is probably going to get you a records request at best. It might not be a full-blown audit. Okay. Might not be. We don't know. We don't know what the triggers are fully to get audited. We, we have a pretty good idea. Um, and trust me, I've seen it happen enough with clients that we have a pretty good idea when those are going to happen. We have a better idea of how to avoid it. And we avoid it by... Educating our patients on the difference between medically necessary and clinically appropriate appropriate, and always proving our diagnosis, always proving medical necessity. We do that by doing periodic exams. Is the patient still in need of care? That is bill to insurance companies. How do you do that? Progress exam, six visits, 10 visits, whatever. The, the, the industry standard is every six visits or every 30 days in care, whichever comes first. Okay, but be careful with the 30-day cycle because if you're on month five and you're still treating because you're on the 30-day cycle, that could be dangerous. At some point, the prob- patient probably needed to be discharged to clinically appropriate care or maintenance care. So really keep an eye on this and make sure that you're doing your exams when you need to be doing the exams. So initial exam, bill the E&M code. Progress exam. Bill the e code. And I know some of you are sitting out there saying, well, they don't pay for it. They don't pay for it in my state. Okay, so what? Bill it. Bill it and have the patient pay for it. If it's go- not going to patient responsibility, yes. then you need our help to figure out how to make that, that work. Because regardless, anytime you're at risk of getting your records requested by an insurance company, even if they're not paying for something and you haven't built it, you should at least have done it and have the documentation to show, hey, we did an exam. Insurance company doesn't pay for it, but we have the documentation that we're still in acute care. So don't shortcut the system. Don't shortcut your exams. Your exams are what help you prove a medical necessity. Also, Get good at discharging patients to clinically appropriate care. There is a point in time where the patient is not going to see any further progress on that diagnosis, and they need to be moved over to maintenance care. Now, there are some tricks. They're not really tricks. There are some great communication strategies that you can use to help patients understand the value and the benefit of that, and they work fantastically. and if you if you tee it up right, If you tee up that patient communication right, they're ready to go into maintenance. They're ready to pay you cash. Now, when I say they're going to pay you cash, how amazing does that sound? I mean, give me a heck yeah, because that's where the panacea of practice is. When you can get your patients over to cash and you have control over care and you have control over your income and you have control over your profits, that's where practice really happens. Because on the other side, yes, you want your patients to be able to use their insurance to a point where it's compliant. You've got to train them that you can't use it forever. You've got to train them that just because they get 30 visits a year or whatever it might be, that they don't get all that on one diagnosis necessarily unless they're so bad. They're in so much acute distress that you can document the need for that many visits. So you've just really got to think about how you put your treatment plans together, how you're proving medical necessity, how you're driving that patient down the path of understanding what part of care is the insurance company's responsibility and what part of care is their responsibility. And again, if your messaging is correct, then it works. If your messaging isn't correct, then your patients are going to drop out of care. And you're going to be under this constant barrage of needing more and more new patients all the time to replace them. What we want to do is we want to build a practice, right? We want to build a practice. But if you're constantly on the treadmill of new patients because everybody's dropping out because you're not differentiating medically necessary care between uh, clinically appropriate care, then you're shooting yourselves in the foot. And you're creating a practice model that is really hard to sustain. So I'm going to get off my high horse about this a little bit. I've probably beat this to death, but I think this is just an incredibly appropriate topic. And, you know, we're kind of here at the end of the year, beginning of the year. We're, these are great times to make some procedural changes in your practice. These are great times to... Tell patients, hey, things have changed and I'm getting my clinic in compliance and I'm bringing you along with that. And so we're going to have a little conversation about how this works. Patients understand that healthcare changes, they know the rules change, they know that we have all kinds of compliance things that we have to manage. Ah, coffee. So make sure that you're really drilling down on some good procedures to put in place to get yourself over the hump of what may be a bad habit that you've created. And it's okay. We see a lot of doctors have done this. and It's okay. It's just because you don't always understand ne- necessarily that it's happening, number, t- number one. Number two, you don't realize that over here on the cash side of the practice, practice the clinically appropriate side, how great it is over here. Because a lot of us think, well, patients aren't going to do that. They're just going to drop out of care. And as long as we have that attitude, they will. So these are the kind of things at CATS Consultants that we help doctors do. These are the kind of things and strategies that we help doctors put in place so that their practices can run more smoothly and they actually have controlled, scalable growth. And how great is that to be able to do that? How great would it be to lock the door and turn the lights out at night, walk out of the clinic and go home and go, whew, that was a big, busy day. But you know what? I can sleep tonight because I know my practice is compliant. I know I'm meeting the confines of medical necessity, and I know I'm putting some controls in place where patients want to retain in practice, they understand retaining in practice, and they understand the value of paying me cash for those services. So. Creating that mix in your practice is really important. This this is one of the many, 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 many things that we do at Cats Consultants is we really help doctors drill down on these kind of things. So if you haven't done so yet, go to catsconsultants.com. Check out what we do. Hey, if you want to do a breakthrough call with us, we do these for free. If you want to do a breakthrough call with us, jump on jump on my schedule and let's just talk about your practice. Let's talk about where you're at. Tell me your your list of pain points. And let's see how CATS consultants might be able to plug in. We can't help everybody. Might be able to plug in and, and help you with some of these things. So if you're ready to find the path to profit and the path to mastery in chiropractic, check us out. Dive into what we're doing with with uh, with people, with doctors out there. We've got a lot of free downloads and things on, on our website, too. So check those out as well. And I can see the sun shining through on me today. So it's a good day here at CATS. So. All right, everybody, I'm checking out. So thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and we appreciate you listening. From all of us here at Cats Consultants, have an amazing day.